I'm Moses Siem. And I'm Jason Sylvia. And this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people. And how those creative people turn into creative entrepreneurs. Taking their creativity and turning it into a business. And revealing all the trials and tribulations along the way. Do you want to be in the business? The music business, that is. While we know the way we consume music has changed, so too is the way music is made and distributed. And on top of that, the role of the independent artists within the industry. Artists now have more power and control than ever. But with that comes a whole new set of responsibility. And no one exemplifies the new role of the independent artists better than this episode's guest, Dave Alves. Dave's had a pretty interesting journey. From a young kid just wanting to play piano, to music student, to playing in a band, to solo act, to teaching music, to eventually creating his own artist-based entrepreneurial network. Dave's done it all and then some, and along the way has learned many lessons that we hope you, the listener, can benefit from. I first started my music career in, uh, with piano. So uh, not people actually don't know that about me. I play uh, guitar a lot now, and in the bands that I'm in, I play guitar, uh, except for one band, I do play piano. Um, and I'm certainly looking to change that, but since I was six years old, I've played piano. Wow. And I uh, played it all through school, you know, that's what kind of gave me the bug early, and uh, the performance bug, performing in front of every, all my friends at school and everything, and uh, sure, a lot of people have been through there. I mean, uh, I'm kind of going through that right now with uh, teaching kids of that same age, so... Um, but I started playing piano a long time ago, did all, uh, all the performance groups through high school and into college and everything. I majored in college uh, with uh, music theory and uh, with a focus in piano and electronic composition. And uh, yeah, then uh, after I, uh, well, actually, while I was in college, I, I joined a band and or we formed a band together from the area. And uh, we uh, did a lot of touring around the area. New England, you know, that kind of thing. Not too not too crazy. We didn't do any European tours or anything like that. We did some recordings and everything and uh, loved it. Uh, there was uh, quite the struggle between the uh, um, college musician and the road musician uh, early on. Uh, it was kind of the first kind of industry uh, kind of picking at each other, like uh, the, the, uh, uh, the student, music student, trying to stay and... Uh, uh, learn as much as I could in that field uh, and then uh, of course the band thing was just kind of trying to pull me off and uh, you know the success of the band thing was really alluring and uh, um, so but then after that <laughs> I'm trying to fa- I'm trying to keep it short here so I don't want to talk like you know that's a lot of life oh, but uh, no we're, we're gonna break yeah. I think we're gonna break these down a little bit more oh, okay, cool. in each thing so cool. but, if, but if you want to keep going we're not definitely not oh gonna sure stop yeah, yeah, yeah no worries. We, can, <laughs> we can take it out and editing. that's fine um, but yeah so that uh, I was in a, a band called mindset for about seven years and uh, that that we got together in 2003 for all the listeners who are like, wow, I don't even remember 2003. Uh, What's that, a 2003? Yeah, was, was, there's no, some early aughts? Yeah. God. <laughs> I don't even remember these, these dudes are old. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, I was only five when I started this band, so, you know, that's okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, but uh, I, uh, we were together for, for quite a long time, and then after that, the band broke up because, you know, life. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember leaving college uh, and getting your first real job and everything like that. Uh 
that was uh, that was kind of what happened there. Everybody graduated, and then like, I didn't oh, want to remember that, but thanks. Yeah, I'll say. Well, I just want you to, to go to a dark place for a second. Oh, there. Appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, I uh, I was the only one who really like committed to music, uh, kind of in the in the whole group. Uh, you, you see that a lot in uh, local musicians. Uh, they they have a really fast start once they get going, or a slow start, but they they hit a stride and then they hit a they hit something that slows them down just a little bit, and they might not make it past that first time. And uh, we hit a lot of them, and we made it through a lot. But that was a kind of a big life thing, where it was also a big learning process for me uh, and for what I do today. Um, something that you put a lot into that band, which we were we were touring a lot, we were recording and everything, um, to just kind of stop, and that kind of forced me into this whole. Um, uh, what I do predominantly right now is uh, acoustic shows, and I had to kind of do that for myself. Uh, all of a sudden, I was filling up three to four hours of uh, you know music a night if I wanted to keep doing what I was doing, and uh, that, it it ended up going well, you know. And I uh, since then I've been doing the acoustic thing. Um, had a few different iterations of bands, and uh, a few of them that I'm still currently in. I'm in Crooks and Scourge, which uh, I is the band that I write for, and uh, it's all originals. And we're playing at PVD Fest this weekend. Uh, well, hey. depending on when the podcast goes up, uh, that was June eighth, Saturday, <laughs> June eighth. If you guys missed it, I'm sorry, but uh, you know you can still find videos of us online if you search uh, Crooks and Scourge. We'll spell that for you later. Check check the uh, podcast liner notes for that. Uh, um, <laughs> But uh, podcasts have liner notes, do they? Yeah, <laughs> this one usually like, one that's a thing yeah. when I'm on them, they're one liners, but you know, <laughs> but um, yes, uh, but uh, yeah, there, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, we can just put it in, like, um, but uh, we also have uh, the Mad Clatter playing, uh, Ryan Rice uh, heading that one up, and I play piano for that one, um, and uh, I play, I play with a great network of guys uh, that I know from teaching professional musicians around the area. They join me on all my gigs. Uh, I sit in with people uh, as a vocalist, as a guitarist, as a pianist. Um, but when was that? that? Uh, when, when did you first join the Mad Clatter? The Mad Clatter, oh, wow. Uh, that was probably around, I want to say, 2015, late 2014. Gotcha. Yeah, and uh, we released an album officially last year. We were recording it for 2016 and officially... Uh, well, yeah, 2017, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, we recorded an album with them. It's great. You guys can stream it on anywhere you stream music. You know, all what the kids platforms. do. Yeah, all <laughs> the streaming. Hey, hey there, fellow kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy a CD if you want to, too. <laughs> no, what's that? Uh, but yeah, I joined, joined them around there. But I was still doing uh, Crooks and Scourge at the same time, too, which was uh, all my music. Um, there's been other bands that I've kind of like dabbled with, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been music nonstop now. Uh, I do it full time. Uh, I, uh, teach four days a week. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's really been the best, best part of my life is doing this full time. Hardest thing that you could do this. It's a whole backstory of like getting, actually taking that step into any kind of entrepreneurial field and. Like saying, okay, uh, I might not need guaranteed weekly income or uh, health insurance, but I'm going to figure it out on mm-hmm. my own. And, uh, you know, everybody's a little nervous to do that. And they're like, even if you do have something that's like really working out for you, you're like, can this work full time? And can I live the life that I want to? 
um, while doing it. And uh, that was probably the, uh, the biggest uh, success in the last couple of years for myself. Okay, so that is a lot of life to unpack. And it's plain to see that David has had a life filled with music. But it's only until recently that David has been able to solely support himself with his art. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is patience. To our listeners, when it comes to our creative endeavors, the money ain't going to come around as fast as we'd like. It'll probably be a while till that even happens. So be patient. That desire to play piano, how, how did that come about? Were you, <laughs> well, were you hearing different songs and you're like, I, I like, hey, was it I, like I saw this piano lessons, your parents. Or, you know, your pa- or it was it more like your parents like, yeah. David, damn it, you're playing piano yeah. and we're going to send you to lessons. Yeah. Was it a little bit of both? Or? Well, you know, uh, so I had, I was, so the real beginning of it was my grandfather had a piano in, uh, well, my grandparents had the piano in their house. Uh, my grandfather would play it. And, um, you know, when I was just like kind of wheeling around in a little, Stroller, just go up to the piano, bing, 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 you know, like hit the, like all the kids do. My parents were like, wow, we really have something. Maybe he's interested in that, you know. And when I was old enough to. I didn't know your really parents sounded like 1920s guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. See? Man, you play piano every day, man. Put up your No, no, sorry, mom and dad. That's not how they talk. They're actually, you know, well. Anyway, um, but uh, when I was about six, I told my mom I wanted to play drums. And she said, well, you're going to play piano. She was like, there's no in hell so you play drums in the house. Yeah, man, mine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. I wanted to play drums, man. I'm still drawn to the drums. I can't play the drums, but I love the drums. Uh, anything I play on the drums is like a, uh, a, a funk beat. That's it. That's all I can do. I can just do, I can probably just do Ill Communication, BC Boys. I can play that whole album. That's it. Uh, not to say that's not good drumming. I'm just saying that that's what influences me on my drum patterns. And I can't do anything more technical than that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really wanted to play drums. And actually, I do a little like self-drumming on my new album coming out, which we'll get to later. I'm sure that's a lot to unpack right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, I like percussion. I can do percussion and beats and everything. I keep rhythms. But drum set's crazy. So speaking of, um, you were talking about your grandfather. Like, that mm-hmm. was like the early the early inspiration right and then you and actually just mentioned the album too uh mm-hmm. there, is there a song having to do with your grandfather or about yeah. your grandfather on the album because i think that's yeah. pretty interesting too so like yeah. just to, like how much of an influence did he have because if you're talking about him on the album then saying hey he had the piano and i was drawn to it how, how much of an influence uh uh was he as far as like music goes um well uh yeah like i said he he originally he played the piano he would show me stuff that he would play on the piano and uh he uh he was kind of the guy that that fostered all that. My, my sister, she's a singer violinist, and uh, she's also a teacher. Um, so for both of us, he nurtured that musical side um, v- very, um, very intensely. Um, uh, he would kind of check in with us, be interested in what was going on, show up to recitals, you know, that kind of thing, and uh, always was genuinely interested in uh, everything that everything that we did and what we were playing, I remember fast forward to when I was just starting out in a band playing guitar, and uh, he I bring him up to my room one Christmas, and and I had like a distortion pedal, and I start playing like, hey grandpa, like listen to this, bam 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 bam, and I was like, what do you think? He's like, I don't really like that very much. <laughs> I was like, oh well, you're not gonna I was like, like, well, that was band. pretty awful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, for all the people, listen, he wasn't exactly like just saying it because. 
you know, like, oh, well, it's your grandson, you have to be. But he, he genuinely was, he, he liked us playing music and everything, and he was he was pushing us to do it. And if there was something he didn't like, I mean, he obviously was going to tell us. But, uh, yeah, there is a song about my grandfather on the, uh, on the album. It was uh, one that I had composed a while ago. And uh, it's pretty much going to be, I'm... I'm predicting it's going to be the only like older song that I have on the album, but for a significant reason, like you're tying in right now, um, because he he was an influence on uh, on me as a musician, and he also bought me my uh, he my technically my second acoustic guitar when I was actually thinking about getting into uh, playing guitar in a band. Um, my parents bought me my first one because, like, my sister's ex-boyfriend had a guitar, and I was, like, playing it. And they're like, oh, maybe we should buy him a guitar now. And uh, they bought me this guitar, and I don't think I touched it at all. I was going off to college, and uh, or I was, in, like, senior in high school, and, you know, I had a whole bunch of other things to pay attention to. And then I went to college, and then uh, there were, you know, girls, and, uh, you know, there was the quad, and I started playing guitar, and they're like, oh, he plays guitar, isn't it? I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. So I, my, my roommate, who's my best friend, uh, Pete, he's a shout out to Pete Chen. Uh, I, uh, I would borrow his electric guitar because he kept it like, he kept it like stowed away somewhere. I play his electric guitar. And then my grandfather bought me my acoustic guitar. I brought it back to college playing in the quad. I'd be start writing. That's where I first started writing uh, songs, some songs that I still play at my shows today. I uh, started it there, so he bought me that guitar. I played it for many years up until last summer. I finally replaced it. Like uh, is, that would make it, oh geez, uh, eight, eighteen years old. Oh, <laughs> that, wow. yeah, the guitar is eighteen years old. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I finally retired it, put some new strings on it, tucked it away in a case, and now I play a new one uh, that can uh, you know take the uh, three, four, five gig a week uh, rotation. And I uh, retired that one, so yeah, that's uh, kind of uh, kind of the homage to the grandfather there. When it comes to your creative endeavors, there will always be people who will doubt you, and then there will be people who will cheer you on. Dave's grandfather is a perfect example of the latter. Those supporters can be anyone, family, close friends, or people who have seen your work and simply dig what you're doing. But remember, just because they support you doesn't mean they'll always agree with what you're doing. But it's better to have a critical cheerleader than a glad-handing yes person. If you listen to stuff that I was writing back with my old band mindset or, you know, uh, before that, it is very much influenced by, you know, uh, 90s rock and uh, Audie's rock, you know, like... Because you're a huge Jim Blossoms fan, right? What? <laughs> what kind of research did you do on that? <laughs> we yeah. do our homework, Dave. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, to be honest, I got compared a lot back in my early days to Incubus, uh, uh, Brendan Boyd's voice and stuff like that, and uh, uh, very guitar-driven, that kind of thing, because that's what it was, you know? And uh, after that main band that I was talk- talking about before broke up, around 2007 or so, um, I spent a long time rethinking my way of composition on guitar, trying to simplify it, because it's very uh, chord-driven, not to get into this crazy heavy music theory uh, conversation, but um, I I realized that um, there was kind of new music coming up, and music that I liked coming up, and it's not easy to change your composition style, and it be genuine uh but to kind of backtrack a little bit you know you're talking about classical instruments um piano i would do a lot of writing on piano in high school and i even i 
composed, uh, I orchestrated a song. I had it uh, copyrighted in the Library of Congress. Uh, my senior class performed it. There was an orchestra. There was a choir. Doing big uh, things in high school, Dan. Yeah, yeah. It was my senior year. We had, yeah, we had the. I, I she's composed for uh, flute, uh, um, strings, and uh, geez, I don't know. Maybe percussion. I'm not sure. And uh, piano, of course. Uh, and I had all the seniors singing uh, different verses and everything. So I composed that. And um, we did. I remember one class we did like I composed like a musical, but it was more informal. It wasn't like written down and everything notated, but. Uh, I did not like my composition style on piano. That's why I gave it up. That's why I stopped it. I only I only did it for like uh, I did jazz standards. I did uh, in when I was formally taking music in college. Uh, I was playing it there, and uh, I was composing on guitar. Also because guitar is a lot easier to bring around. You know, piano if you wheel that through the quad, everybody thinks you're crazy. <laughs> you know. Everybody playing Ultimate Frisbee. Get that out of the way. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, so that, that, that was a big uh, that was a big reason for me changing over because I didn't like how I was composing on piano. But, incidentally, now, there's going to be a few songs on the new album that I write for piano. And I think also to your point about classical music, uh, there is, I mean, there's a jazz influence, there's a 90s rock influence, there's a classic rock influence, there's a lot of music that I listen to now that... I just love the eminence of it. But there's classical music. Uh, the, I'm a huge fan of Debussy. And uh, a lot of my um, chord um, uh, proliferation, uh, the way that you voice it, and the way that um, you write out your chords and progress from chord to chord, I base that totally on on Debussy's solo piano work. And um, it's... it's, it's uh, I've loved what I've come up with, and that's why well, that's kind of why I've gone to. I want to make a solo album rather than hey, I've got this band. Let's all go into the studio, which we are. We're going to go into the the Crooks and Scourge is going to be going into the album, but uh, into the studio and make an album. But this one is going to be a lot of those influences. So there's classical influence as well. All right. So Dave sonically dissected his influences and how he utilized them in a very specific manner. In this case, all it took was Debussy's chord progression to push Dave into working on a solo project. In a recent interview, Tyler the Creator said the reason why he started singing more on his last album, Igor, was due to influence from Kendrick Lamar. Oh, and by the way, Igor just happened to land Tyler, his first number one album on the Billboard charts. It just goes to show, sometimes our inspiration can come from the outside, sometimes it comes from our peers. Regardless of where it comes from, use those influences to establish your creative base so you can create your own path and be truly successful. Did you always, like, like I guess in the high school years, like, nope, I'm definitely going to college for um, for what's like music theory and composition. Do I have that right? And, like, yes, this is where I, I know where I want to go and I'm picking out. And, and if that was the case, like, if that was that the case and were the parents, like, 100% supportive right. or, or were they more like, oh, yeah, we support you, honey. And then, like, you know, they're sweating bullets, like, oh, kind <laughs> yeah. of like, they're like, yeah. yeah. And they're well, like, uh-uh. I, think par- I think parents are sweating bullets nonetheless. Well, yeah. yeah they're but- always sweating bullets. <laughs> Um, it's funny because this is a huge topic now that I'm a teacher and I'm dealing with kids who are getting actually that's an interesting college. perspective too because you're yeah. also teaching it so yeah. being on the flip I'm side on the of other it. side of that I'm on the influencing side since I am not a uh, father yet myself I am on the influencing side of it not the I'm paying for this so you're going to listen to me kind of side um, but yeah, my parents were always um, 
very uh, and she's Father's Day coming up. I got a big thank you to my dad uh, and my mom. Um, both of them were very uh, supportive of this. And uh, my dad, uh, my dad came from a family. He he was uh, he he was a welder. Uh, his father was a welder uh, welder plumber. Well, I think he was a plumber. Um, sorry, Dad. I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. Um, but very, like, we're, we're very uh, Portuguese family. You know, you got to do things with your hands, that kind of thing. And it, even though my father wasn't like that, he the mindset was still there that that's kind of the norm. And he didn't want to push that on me. So when he saw that I was super interested and I was staying with it, uh, it could have been it could have been anything. And this happened to be music, but it could have been anything. Since I was super into it and that's what drove me. That's what he wanted me to do because, and I think he felt that he was kind of forced into what he did, and he vowed to himself that he wouldn't do that to his kid. And uh, I am super appreciative to him because of that. Um, so, but that being said, there was always checks, you know, like, hey, are you sure? And you know, you're, there's checks with yourself. You're like, oh, am I really sure that I can do? And not not that I want to do that, but can I do this? So a lot of people say, of course I want to do this, but there should be a question there. Can I do it? Do I know how to do this? And yeah, you get a lot of information from college. To be quite honest, I didn't get, which we'll probably talk about, a lot of the music business education in college, which was very necessary. But um, I feel like that's the case in like a lot of art schools. Me and Jay have yeah. had the discussion as far, as far as like certain art schools, like well, like critically acclaimed art schools that just they give you all the the knowledge and the experience, but then when you get out of there and you're trying to I mean, promote yourself and market yourself, manage yourself. They kind of just leave you out there to just. Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that because RISD, um, Surround School of Design. I think it was a f- maybe a month back. They were doing a. It was like a seminar, but it was on a Tuesday in the middle of the day, and it was open to the public. And um, nobody can see what I'm doing, but I'm doing air quotes right now. And I say open to the public because, like, who the we'll hell describe is, them for like, you? Like, well, who that like, but who's going to really be able to uh, feasibly attend something like that, especially if. You are doing, um, you know, you are an artist, but you're having to work some kind of nine to five, which, you know, your nine to five type jobs, which are like retail or in the service industry, you can't just call out on a whim like that. And sometimes you need that money, right? So, and the whole point of the seminar was it was a free seminar. Um, I, it was more about the business of like being an artist, like, like how to like do things like taxes, if you're like, because you're like generally a, like a general contractor, right? And, I was looking at that, and now I didn't go to RISD, but if I went to RISD and I was paying all that money, it's not cheap, and you're not teaching me that in class, and then you're giving that information away for free, and you're only doing it for like a limited time thing, like I would right. be pissed off. That's game. Um, yeah, if, if, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so you're paying all that money, and you, and I think this flows in, into um, to our next question, is that so you, so you went to college, and you're saying that you learned you know, things about music theory, but not about the business side. Uh Looking back on it and then looking at the landscape now, because when when you did go to college, right, we didn't have things like everybody posting up information on YouTube and how-to videos. Right. You, didn't, you didn't have things like you, Daniel. We had Napster, all, all though. These, yes, we did. Yes, we'll, we go did. That, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll go to that in a little bit, too. But um, Really? That was a topic of today? We're, we're, uh, the, Napster, the technological really? revolution. Yeah, it'll be part of that. That's um, cool. But I want to – looking back on it now and, then you, and now you're teaching somebody, uh, do you think that college, you know, was worth it, especially now in today's landscape. Do you think that you could have learned the same things just by, you know, being on YouTube and Google and like paying, maybe paying a little bit less, like for Udemy or something like that? 
Um, do you think it's? Do you think the value has changed um, with the landscape now? Um, do you think that you did you get your money's worth? Did you not get your money's worth? Was it more of an I experience will, thing? I will always endorse college. I will always go endorse endorse going to a higher education because it was the catalyst for me. Um, I I engaged in so many uh, artistic forms um, and had so much inspiration being around other people who were music majors, uh, being around other people who were performers, other creative minds. Um, yeah, you can network and you can do that now, uh, but there is so much structure to it in college and there is so much focus on it. It was tough. Like, I went to I went to UMass. Like, I didn't go to Berkeley. I didn't go to a private college. I wanted to, but it was super expensive to do so. And uh, to be honest, a lot of the like Berkeley teachers uh, they taught at UMass, and we had I had quite a few teachers who were both places, and I was surprised at that when I went to school. I was like, wait, hold on a second, are they going to hold back on some stuff? No, it was just it wasn't that. It's because it wasn't as in debt, like you weren't immersed in in it. But as a music major, I was going in at seven a.m. I was uh, I was doing uh, ensembles. I had you know I had gen ed classes, but I was there till late at night practicing. You know. Uh, I was in lab, uh, you know, uh, I was in uh, just a piano, uh, piano room by myself practicing all my, uh, all my standards, my charts and uh, for jazz piano. And um, that was where I spent my 21st birthday was in that room, which is just another memory that's coming to mind right now. Thanks, guys. I was all all alone. We took them back. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) No, but uh, I mean, just to kind of I did want to bridge that into. Oh, um, when I was in like middle school, I wanted to be a, uh, an architect. You know, just kind of talk about that questioning thing. And like, um, I first wanted to be an architect. Before that, I wanted to be a musician. I, I got uh, some immersion into like what the architectural field is, and I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And then I was like, in high school, I was just yeah, I want to do want to do music. That's totally what I want to do. And um, back to this current question, I will always tell people to go to college um, because it. It focuses you. It exposes you to things that you never thought about. It will propel you um, in different ways that you never thought you could. And you will meet lots of people that will later uh, be great connections in life. Um, and you'll need those, especially going into a, mu- into a music career or any arts field. Any artistic field, uh, connections are needed. People just who know your educational background, who have uh, higher learning than you, or maybe they're mentors or anything like that, uh, just stay in contact with those people. Um, I, uh, I'm i getting lost here now. Um, <laughs> I was taught on the question. Um, but um, to the adverse point of that, Yes, uh, you can do it without college. Um, the things you don't necessarily need a college education, and that everybody out there with a college education right now and a degree is going like, oh, why did you say that? Um, it, it it depends on what you want to do. You have to be super motivated. You have to be super focused going into college. You have to know exactly what you want to do. There's so many things you want to do uh, that you can do with a music degree. Um, I'm um, I mentioned a long time uh, ago um, to some friends about uh, somebody when they found out that I was a music major. They asked if I wanted to do um, harmonics uh, training for the army or for the navy. I think it was, uh, which meant being on a submarine. And uh, testing, um, testing sound waves through the ocean for like 
Um, it had to do with uh, torpedoes. I think uh, in the army, it was like uh, bombs or missiles and stuff like that, setting them off early, that kind of thing. It was. I don't know if I should be telling this information. It's been a few years. I'm pretty sure they have that technology off the now. Record. Yeah, off the record. We can edit that out. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, there was so many. In you wouldn't even think about going into the armed forces. That like I'm going to be a music major. And I'm going to go into the army band. Look, we ain't here to start the formal versus informal education debate. We think both routes create different opportunities, and the number of opportunities that arise are bound by the makings of you as an artist. Listen, whatever you pursue, you have to make sure you have the passion and the humility to be continuously learning. And regardless of how you learn, no knowledge is ever wasted. You may not use certain skills today, but those same skills may come in handy tomorrow. So two things. One, what was the plan, I guess, while you're in college? Like, what was the plan oh. after like, after you got out? If, if you had one, right. some people don't. Like, what was the plan? And then secondly, did did that institution prepare you for that plan? Because I think sometimes with these creative schools, right. like you were saying, they weren't teaching you any of the mu- music business stuff, which would have been helpful. I had one class, one class on that. But it was also, to, to their credit, it really wasn't offered in any type of school unless it was a conservatory. And I don't, I mean, I'm not even sure if it was there unless they were going into that end of the music. You know, if you were there for performance, they really didn't teach you how to manage yourself. Um, it wasn't needed because you're talking about back in the time when when labels were a thing or managers were a thing, producers were a thing. Like, they were prevalent there. You didn't need to manage yourself. Uh, you didn't need to market yourself. And, uh, I mean, it was a second thought. And it was kind of forward thinking to have that class at the time that I was there, but I do I do feel like I got my money's worth, and I do feel like I accomplished what I needed to, um, because my plan was really to be a composer. I initially had gone out into college thinking that I was going to be kind of like an orchestrator. I was going to be an arranger, which I had done. I had done in some classes, like learning how to write for different instruments and write for like you know, a full orchestra playing at the same time and knowing how to do that. Uh, it hasn't come into play in my current life yet, but if anybody out there would like some kind of brass woodwind arrangements of their songs, I could probably do that for you. I'll dust off some of those books right now. Um, but uh, that was the initial plan, and to be honest, I, I started that band, and the uh, the grassroots kind of composition of what I could do for myself, writing my own songs, singer-songwriter type stuff, started to take over because um, I got more confident in myself as a as a as an instrumentalist. Uh, I love taking the step into jazz piano. Like uh, I was playing classical piano all my life, all the way through high school until I got to college. I went over. I'm like, nah, I'm done with classical. I want to do jazz. Jazz is cooler. And it was. It was a lot cooler. It gave me a lot, of, a lot more independence and a lot more, um, a lot more uh, uh, ability to use my knowledge of music in my ear and uh, being able to hear different sounds in what I was playing and where it took the songs. And uh, so that's kind of how the outlook changed a little bit. And by the end of college, I was kind of fully immersed in like, I want to write songs for myself. I love... Um, just producing this and putting it out there to the people. And it wasn't in my mind yet about how am I going to turn this into money because I was going to do that however I could 
And I was going to make money however I could just so I could make my own music. It didn't matter at that time if I was making money from making music. I was going to do something else that could make me money that could fund that. It didn't matter what it was. So I think the one line to take away from there, you were saying, I just want to produce it and then get it out there to people, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which I think is a a good point or a good segue into, so want to get your thoughts on technology, but specifically um, things like Napster and file sharing coming along, right? And kind of blowing up the, the distribution model that was there. You were mentioning how there wasn't really a... Um, as far as promoting yourself because there were like, you know, as you said, labels were quote unquote still a thing. I mean, they are now, but yeah. the way that they operated before, it was a whole different uh, type of, um, a different type of business model than the way it is now. Right. So things like, you know, file sharing and things like MP3s and then, and that's the way people consume music. But then also on top of that, then you have, um, you know, being able to record at home. You don't, you don't necessarily need the giant studio anymore. You can get that, uh, you know, you know, similar, you know, type of power as far as like having it on your laptop and having like a small recording interface and headphones. I can yeah. record in the hotel. I can yeah, record but, the, I mean, that's the dorm a, room. That's and, also uh, depending like on yeah, the, on but, like what you're doing. Yeah. And, but I, what, what is your thoughts on all that? And then oh, and then and then, at, and then that Huge changing. Question, Jason. Well, and then that and then also the distribution model changing. Like we, we yeah. went from oh, oh my god, I I can I can now carry my music in a file. Then it was oh my god. You know the recording equipment's a lot cheaper. I can just record straight to digital right. and do things myself. Well, and oh, then oh my god, it's it's iTunes. Then oh my god, it's streaming. Oh yeah, you're overloading me yeah. with questions here. <laughs> no. So but, uh, let's just go just back to, to the Napster yeah, question. Go, yeah, starting from right <laughs> there. Labels. Like, what is your yeah. thoughts on this? And so, how does that change how you how you work? I think Napster only really pissed off the major labels. Yep. I think you know, like Metallica getting angry was probably you know the word coming down from the top, going like they're not. Well, people not bootlegging selling their shows back in the day, and like yeah. that's how they got known too. So that's why. Yeah, I but was... the boot, like, I mean, you could do the Pearl Jam thing where yeah. you record every single show and make a CD of it. And they made, I'm sure they made lots of money yeah. off it. I mean, you still find their albums with like uh, when they were when they performed three nights at Boston Mass. You know, okay, for all those Pearl Jam fans, I'm out of myself as a grunge fan right now. <laughs> uh, but um, it, because. It, I think it was well known to the musician that um, the professional musician did not make money from CD sales. They got notoriety. They got credit from that. They made they made money not even from ticket sales at the shows. Their biggest cash cow was the merchandise because the label didn't own that. They produced that themselves and they sold it at the shows that people bought tickets to to go to after buying the albums that the album produced and took so much of a percentage of. Now, hopefully they got a good deal and they'll get some royalties and hopefully they're still getting royalties today. Those are those 90s bands. Hello, 90s bands. Are you still making money from your music? Uh, you know, actually, and to a side note that, like Dave Matthews was a great, uh, um, a great example of this. He started recording his stuff live and he owned the live albums where the record labels owned his studio albums. That's interesting. I never knew that. Mm. I yeah. didn't know he, he owned the all, he owned all the. Well, later later he made that. his own label, oh, and yeah. he started like the, I think everything up until like I think every day might have been his first album on his own record label. I'm not sure. Don't please Dave Matthews fans. Please don't be <laughs> saying oh that's wrong. I was like I can't remember. I'm a Dave Matthews fan. I just I'm an early Dave Matthews band fan, but I do know that um, that's why he started doing his live music stuff is so he could own the rights to those recordings of those songs and make money off of that uh now with that being said like 
um, Napster comes along and and uh, has all this file sharing. And if you if you talk to people who grew up after Napster fizzled out or when it was in its height, and they were might have been like preteen, yep, they thank the thank the universe for uh, a Napster because that's what got them into so much music. Different types of music. Different types of music. Yeah, any type of music. You can. You can. They. They have such a great musical knowledge now because of Napster. And and Metallica might still be relevant today because of Napster. That's interesting. I'm going to pause on that because I want you. I just want everybody to remember how (laughs) angry they were at Napster and everything about this. Yeah. There's all this stuff about them hating Napster. So what? They have one problem. They're still a good band. Yeah, and like... They, it's like them public... Uh, who was it? Them public enemy. It was like one or two right. other artists when they had like the press conference. Like, I remember like right. watching those and just being like, this is going to tear down the... Well, it did tear down the music industry, but not the industry itself, but like the industry as like the way it operated, which right. may have been a good thing. Right. So for as someone as myself, who I have not made it big yet, hopefully, you know, maybe I'm, this is five years down the line and I'm re-listening to this podcast... And I'm saying, Dave, you, just wait, just wait, Dave. But um, well, when you do, me, we'll, we'll have the exclusive. We'll just yeah, be like, yeah, yeah, back, yeah, back, back you know, we know all along. There you go. <laughs> like um, it, for someone like me, uh, if I got something on Napster, like some, like one of my tracks was on Napster, and then someone like across the country was listening to it, and you know, let's go back to MySpace, and then they started following me on MySpace, then I'm like, hey, maybe I could do a tour. You know that kind of thing. I can follow people. Like people could follow me all around. Napster just kind of opened up the revenue and I th- uh, the venue for independent artists. If the changes in the music industry in the last few decades have proven anything, it's that the only true constant is change. Change can be scary, but it can also be a good thing. That's a good point. Change can create new opportunities for artists. The key lesson here is to be dynamic and to use industry changes to your advantage rather than resisting change and being static, leading you to become a relic of the past. There's so much stuff behind every little thing that you're doing. Mm. Like, um, knowing everything there is to know about the mic that you're using, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's low end, it's high end, what is best for the voice that you're using, the instrument that you're using, the room that you're playing in. What is the ambiance of the music? What is the sound reflection of the music that you're that you're into? Uh, the the sorry the the room that you're in. How is that going to sound? Are the drums going to sound dead in there? Is it like you can make an album yourself? And I'm sure you can research all of this. But by the time you're done researching all of this, you're you're on your way to being a sound engineer. Like to keep all of this stuff in mind um, is very. It's a lot, you know. And it and uh, quite frankly, a lot of musicians. Are concentrated on making the music, um, getting it out to people uh, on that end of things. Uh, very rarely is there a musician who is so dedicated that not only are they doing that end, the performance, the writing part of it, um, the getting notice from people, like obtaining audience, that kind of thing. Uh, then they have to do the whole branding part of it, which we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into later. And then they're also doing the I'm going to record myself and make myself sound good. And not use too much compression, and not not make not use the wrong audio, and then like have people tear it apart. And like this is like okay, you can be somebody who records a it's a recording. It's it's my music getting out there. But we're in a time right now where there are so many independent labels, so many independent musicians that you have to stand out among those people. Now, yeah, you're going to be recording it um, 
in your room in some makeshift studio, but you still got to know your stuff. Yeah. Can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, go yes. for it. You still need to know your shit. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. So I'm glad we got that. I've been holding back the swears this whole time. Good. Oh, fuck it. Go, go for <laughs> it. All right, sweet. Okay, awesome. Good, good. Dang it. Uh, all right. Um, but yeah, you, 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 the, the uh, and I've been uh, I've been having long talks uh, with Kyle over at uh, at Railroad Park, uh, the studio that I'm recording at right now. We've been talking long because he's a musician, uh, turned sound engineer, still a writer, and everything like that. And he's excellent. He's got a great ear. You know, um, he's got a great um, ear for sound. And uh, that's why I'm recording that album with him, and that's why I'm recording Crooks and Scourge album with him. Uh, he's he's just got a great ear for sound, and uh, I think that guys like him will always be relevant because he's innovative, and he's got a great ear for sound. He knows he also knows his limit. If he's tired, if he if he knows he's not hearing something right, and he will just minutely take this. Oh, I think something's off there. I think there's something out of tune. I think this is coming like something's coming in early, and I'm like, I didn't hear that, but he did, and you can see it in the waves. And I'm like, oh my god! And like, there's a lot of things that have advanced where you can just record a whole bunch of takes, just take one of those takes or piece it together out of like 80 takes of the same thing, and piece it like with that end of it. Yeah, that that has made it easier. But there's an adverse side to that where you have so much that you're working with now that you need to organize it. Too much of a good thing will make an album sound horrible, too. So speaking of that, because I think that brings up another interesting point, um, it's like more of like a two-part question. One, <laughs> one, the first part, um, with technology and the way things are now, you can, do, you can literally do everything yourself. You can, you can record everything. If you have the knowledge. Right, right. You can record everything. You can mix it down. You can then you know, pick, uh, put it out on your streaming platform of choice. With yeah. social media, you can run your own promotions. Yeah. You can have your own dot-com website. You can make your own merch. You can literally go from end-to-end mm-hmm. end, um, and be a, a, a one-person show or one-band show or whatnot, right? Um, right that, now, right now, you're talking about somebody who's doing this full time. Just, just to let yeah, you know, yeah. And is is but is that necessarily a good thing? Like, is that a good thing that like yeah, you of can, course. Like, like, like should like should should every artist be doing every little thing themselves? Well, or like like you were saying, art, or should the artist on, be more focused on just the music and that's it, and then farm that out to other people? It uh, depends on the artist. Gotcha. It really depends on the artist. I think I'm coming from a background of like first of all, when I was in my first my first band. I was like, no, we're going to be, we're a band, we're doing everything together, nobody's playing with anybody else, we're just focusing on this, that kind of thing. That was my mentality in the beginning. I was very possessive about my music. After that, after that band broke up and I was networking with all sorts of musicians, the best things that I've done musically has come from networking with other musicians, networking with other people who have different ears. That's why I think the sound engineer, the producer, will always be relevant because if you're a professional musician and you want to sound good... You're, you need as much input on this thing that you're doing before you put it out. And that's why somebody with an ear that hasn't, that hasn't seen, it in the, seen the song in its creation from its first incarnation when you were just plugging it on a guitar, hitting it on drums, singing it out loud, however it was that you composed the song, um, to like when you wrote the lyrics, wrote the, wrote the melody line, um, to how it is today, and then now you're recording it, you have such an intimate and biased look on that that it is it, it is an injustice to the song to not have any other input on this so if, even if you are someone who can do this all themselves and i would and you're that person you, you would be doing this every single day 
all your hours, that's what you're focused on. I like to, to, to take a synopsis of what you said, like you're marketing yourself, you're promoting yourself, you're getting gigs, you're doing the recordings and all that. Like literally, that's every day. Like we talk about marketing and branding, that takes up so much of my day that, I mean, you know, writing and performing and everything is also, anything else. You, wanna, you want me to record myself? I mean, that's, I'm not putting out an album every year. It's going to be two years or so, I would say before I get any content. And that is also something that is the adverse of what today's, uh, to, what today's consumer, consumer, uh, listener wants. They want content, content, content. So you, every, yeah, every, yeah. every five seconds. Yeah. So, I mean, you as a musician who is doing everything yourself, you're kind of doing, you're kind of doing yourself, a uh, 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 bad, uh, a, a disservice. Yeah. Disservice. Thank you. I was looking for that word. I was almost going to swear. I was almost going to put my first swear in there. Uh, a disservice uh, to your music if you aren't uh, multitasking. I'm not sorry. If you are multitasking everything and not handing this out to other people to help you. I'm super happy to have Kyle from Railroad Park to, to, to lend an ear to this. And like um, I was talking to Crooks and Scourge. Um, when we go in there for the album, uh, they want – they're like, we need a producer there. We need someone there. Who's going to tell us? Not that's not good. Do something different. We want to do this professionally. Like, yeah, yeah, we absolutely need that other ear. The more, the merrier. I've got people coming into the studio with me um, every single time, and I look for that feedback. You know, they say, "Oh, yeah, 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 sound good. It sound good. Oh, you should do this." You know, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's actually a really good idea." And in the moment, we just change it, goes off in a different direction. And of course, this album's going to take a long time for me to create, but that's the other side of it. But yes, technology has. Um, has allowed us to do everything ourselves. If you can, and if that's how you start out, and if that's how you start making your business, and that's how you get your name out there, do it. Like learn, uh, learn everything you have to do. And I will also say to the people who have grown up earlier and haven't had that experience and have are used to the older way of doing that, learn the new way. Like adapt, or you're quickly just gonna go back and like I'm just gonna play shows and. I'm going to fade into obscurity, and this isn't going to be a business for me anymore. So you need uh, – I mean that's a constant thing for any artist is that you need to keep uh, in contact with your influences, uh, your medium, and keep reinventing how you express yourself through that medium. And as a musician or uh, spoken word performance or anything that also involves the recording – whether if you're a theater performance, video recording, that kind of thing. Like what is – you're not just recording like one camera on a stage and like a whole stage production. You've got cameras on all sides from behind the stage, from up close, from behind, that kind of thing. Like that's something to, that's something to take into, into account now. So I think that's a really good point to make as far as like what gets taken into account, what doesn't have to get taken into account and like, you know, adapting and learning certain skills and, you know, where, where do you have control and then where do you give up control to somebody else because they have maybe a better expertise or can help you make, make the best possible music (laughs) or or whatever art you're trying to create. Right. As a singer songwriter, I've always found like someone who composes and performs everything myself. I've always wanted to have the control over thing, but uh, my, my happiest moments in music, and my my favorite aspects of what my music sounds like, I would say a lot of it has come when I when I network with other people and perform with other people, and they just bring the sound that I haven't heard yet. Like I, there's some, I mean, there's gonna be stuff on the album. It's gonna be me and a piano or me and a guitar, but there's a lot, there's gonna be a lot of other musicians on this album that I cannot wait. And uh, the song that I'm working on now that I'm thinking I'll perform later, 
um, Sundown on a Solitary Crow. I've had um, I've had another guitarist come in, uh, Ryan Strumpfler, who's uh, written some parts for it that have totally transformed what the song sounds like. Um, Chris Cardesi on drums and uh, has totally just come up. I let him come up with his own parts and everything. I put in my own part of like what I liked and didn't like, but totally sound changed that sound of the song. Uh, my sister's playing strings, Brie Vieira. And uh, that has just, I mean, every other person that you involve in what you're doing um, just increases what the, the scope of what you're doing. I mean, whether you like that or not, I mean, you can pick some aspects like, oh, I'll, write, I'll write tons of songs. And okay, this song will be just me. I'll just, I'll reserve that one for just me. But this one has this one has aspects of it that I want to network with other people and have different sound to it. And when you is there Jaws? Is that Jaws? <laughs> dun, dun, is that dun, are those dun, the wardrobe? We're all gonna die. <laughs> so, there, there's an army outside of this place waiting for me to come out. We're, you're coming out sometime, Alves. We're gonna get you. Listen here. Yeah. <laughs> Say actually. Put up your dudes. Put up your dudes. Yeah. So yeah, I would. I mean, uh, yeah, definitely uh, network as much as you can. Uh, was that your initial question? I can't remember. No, no. no uh, but but speaking of that, what do you, what do you think is because. Um, you made a good point. Like the artist now has to also kind of run their own business, which I think that had to be done before, unless you had a label that discovered you and found you. Right. But, um, yeah, that, I mean, up to that point, like your, your work was back then was like trying to yeah. find someone who could represent you the best way. Right. And then you had to like pay all these people percentage out of like what you're doing. Everything. So what do you think now is, um, misconceptions? And what I mean, that is, Misconceptions about independent being, artists. yeah being an independent artist and what do you, like what do you in your opinion what are you, the things that people don't see because they just only get you know one facet of you which is like the art that you're presenting mm. on a stage or on the album or even now with social media we can kind of curate our own lives or curate that so you can make yeah, it look it's like, like it's like everybody's a tastemaker now, so yeah, it's like, right. how, are you, how do you... And you can make it look like that? somebody's an overnight success, even though what you don't realize is that right. overnight success, there was like 10 years of work before that, right. and then before that, and then I after that, that 10 years, that, there's that a whole be... label behind them, and you're, they're not going to tell you that because it's not an interesting story. The more interesting story is like, look at this person who, out of nowhere, had this one song, it got on social media, and then all of a sudden they blew up, and that's it. Right. They don't show the work. So what do you think is some of the misconceptions about <laughs> uh, about all that, like about like what people don't see, the work that goes behind it, all the hidden costs of like things you like yeah having to keep equipment upkeep having right. to pay you know if, if you're recording your stuff you gotta pay for the equipment and all the time you have to put into that or or paying well yeah studio, that might be the that first kind of stuff. that like first of all the misconception on say you'll be lucky to find a venue that understands the that the musician had to travel to the venue has to take time to set up has to take time to tear down and had to take time to learn the music that fills up the three to four hour set that you got going on covering for your club from a from an outside from like from a performer's standpoint mm-hmm. of like what might be a misconception is from like on the venue side like they think there's a guy he's got it all together and we're just gonna have him come in and make some music and it's really easy for him we've got a ramp outside it's easy for him to like bring his heavy equipment in he's all set but they didn't see the fact that he traveled an hour to get there it's gonna take him an hour to set up it's going to take them an hour to turn uh, tear down and an hour to get home, and you know they don't factor that into the, the pay or whatever. And, um, and how do the venues pick too? Because it's just like 
because I know the, the type of venue that's going to have a DJ is going to be different than the type of venue that's going to have like the singer songwriter versus the type of venue that's going to oh, book geez, like a metal a, band. You know, that's a huge conversation, man. <laughs> that's why a whole other podcast, venue, right there. Yeah, the venues got to choose the, what their own brand is going to be. Like, I mean, I I played at uh, the Rooftop G for on week on weekends. I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday nights. And I mean, like, it's a great spot. I like going there. But, uh, you know, I don't go there all the time, not anymore. But, like, because um, I don't live in Providence anymore, unfortunately. Hopefully I'll be back someday. Um, but uh, it, it was a, there were people there wanted to hear a DJ. And I'm sitting there playing acoustic guitar. So the venue's in charge of knowing their customer. You know, they, they might want a, a particular affect of, like, what they want their atmosphere to be. But if their if their customer is coming from outside of Providence, they want a party atmosphere. They want some guy sitting on an acoustic guitar, singing you know some Matt Nathanson song or whatever you know, and some heartthrob. Is there a party? There's a party going on. Seriously, down the hall. I think we might need yeah, to join the photography studio. You spoke about the Providence G and that, and that was um, that's as far as that venue goes. I remember being there one time, and just because I do have some sound knowledge, somebody was having a hard time setting up because they didn't know yeah. their own really nice sound system. They didn't even know how I, it I was there themselves. with you that night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right, so I, th- I think that, you swore more, a few times then. Uh, oh, yeah, more than a <laughs> few times because um, <laughs> they didn't know where the mic went, and it's like, how do you, how does somebody not know their own venue? But that's an interesting point too because not every venue is going to have a sound person, right? So you have to kind of know how to do live audio yourself a little bit. Right, so that's right, more time yeah. to sing into that. But there, then also, well, there's another misconception then for yeah. the live performer. You know, you gotta. They're having to do their own monitoring have, and record and no, mixing. You don't have not. a sound. You have to know how to, and you also have to know how to use a mic if you need to use a mic. If you're singing, if you're speaking, you can't. You know, have to know where to hold it. What you want to be like. I can't be up on the mic and talking all the time and breathing. I have to take my breaths off of the stage. So you don't hear them and I come back, you know? Uh, I mean, well, there's a lot of things to go with that. I'm sorry. I'm simplifying everything out there. Everybody who's <laughs> listening. Uh, this, that's not all that singers have to think about. But uh, misconceptions, yeah, that knowing you're going to have to do your own sound. But, jeez, uh, uh, um, um, I just thought I forgot. I said two misconceptions, but there was one that I wanted to talk about. I think you were talking mostly about the misconception of, jeez. Uh, um, overnight success is not really overnight. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So what they what people see? Yeah, what people see versus what the work that goes on. The work it. that goes into it. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about marketing yourself and and branding yourself. Like people people who make their own music and have a band, uh, they just want to play. See, there you go. There's the sips right next to the microphone, Jason. <laughs> we could hear that at a very a very sensitive condenser we're, we're mic. Keeping, we're keeping this raw, though. You need to, yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got to learn to take your sips of water way off mic over here so nobody hears it. Anyway, so anyway, that's what I've been doing this whole time, people, just so you know, you haven't heard it. Because I I know how to use a microphone, uh, but anyway, uh, so so wow. Well, thanks for the pot shot, Dave. So I'm just saying, hey, you know, you got to start somewhere, Jason. I'm, oh, wow. just, I'm just okay. letting you know. Um, so uh, the um, marketing yourself, like I said before, is just is is a 24 hour job. You uh, you you mentioned social media. Um, oh wait, hold on, let me back up a bit because I was talking about people with music, their own music. I want to finish that thought. Mm-hmm. All they want to do is play a gig. <coughs> That's what people want to do. They want to play. They want to make shows and play a gig. But if you if that's all you do, you're going to be playing to the same people every time. And soon enough, not the same people, probably less people. Because they've seen the same thing over and over again. 
and you're not reinventing yourself as an artist and you're just playing to play gigs. You're not playing to further yourself. And everybody's like, we play the same people every single time. Well, you're forgetting one very important part. You've created the music. You've got the band together. You've created the band. You've gotten the gig, but you haven't marketed yourself. You haven't haven't had a um, organic uh, reach. Re- reach. Yes, and, and exactly. Do, and do the venues? And I guess hopefully it's, they they yeah, help do you they, with do that. They, do they promote or are, yeah, are some venues you know, better than others or some like? Well, well, yeah, yeah but I'm here's not going to out some venues yeah, on yeah, this yeah. podcast right now. Yes, they are. But as an artist, you should be on the lookout for that. And also, be, incre- uh, be including that in, in if you're getting paid or if you're ticketing a show if you're uh, or something like that. If people are paying a, paying a door or something like that, you want to you want to make sure that the venues the venues promoting. Like they're not. I mean, they're in charge of the. They have a reach that you don't have. They have people that. That uh, you guys are talking somewhere. I don't know. what is everything all right? No, we're just uh, being okay, mindful good. of time for you because I know oh, you, you're on. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. Because funny right. enough, you do have you, you have a gig I have to a go gig to tonight. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually it's a perfect go. segue. I might, if it doesn't if, <laughs> if it doesn't rain tonight, I might have a gig. I'm not sure. I might not. So we'll see. I'll check in in a few minutes just to see. Um, but uh, oh geez, now where was I? oh yeah the yeah you want the gig to promote. You want your friends to help you promote. Like it's yeah. not their job. But the people who like you already, uh, if you know, if they share stuff on, or if they just say you make a Facebook invite, uh, event invite, if they say that they're interested, that I mean, algorithms on on Facebook and Instagram, and everything are messed up now. That um, we could go into a whole conversation about this, but um, it, the more people that you have helping you out. Uh, need, you need to promote. That's an over. That is an oversight of uh, the performers. They think that they're going to be uh, uh, just performing, playing shows, but branding and marketing yourself and getting the word out is is something that's so crucial to you uh, extending your musical life and extending where you play and who you play to. That even if it's quote unquote air quotes here selling out. People think people feel like you know marketing themselves might be selling out. All the all the all the people, everybody's doing it. Anybody you know, you know they make music because of them marketing themselves. So the, the musicians now, the manager, the marketer, and the business person. I mean, there are still I mean, there are still people who do that who prof- who who makes it their profession yep. on promoting you and managing you. Um, but hopefully, they they offer a lot more these days because yeah yeah the 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 musicians have to have a really good knowledge. Of of marketing themselves and branding themselves and the way that they want to appear and how they're going to reach other people. And you were saying before how you wish you would have gotten a little bit more, I guess, music business, like really the the business side of you know. There's the music, there's the art, there's the music, and then there's the music business, which is two totally different things, right? Yeah. And you were saying how um, you wish you would have got a little bit more uh, music business knowledge. I guess what were some of those things that you wish you would have known before? What comes to mind for me right now is like even just doing stuff like how do you do your taxes? Like what can you write off if you're a you know a professional musician? Then also the costs of making your own merch and then business cards and promoting yourself or if you're running like social media analytics and then how do you track all that kind of thing? I think there was a recent story in The Verge. They did a, a, an ex, um, I guess you could call it an expose. It was about how metadata – of all things, like something that not everybody thinks about metadata for tracks is not it, like if it's not done correctly upon creation or now you have all these different streaming services that there's thousands upon thousands of dollars that just indie artists are losing out on because the metadata wasn't correct. So they can't really track 
where their song and is sure and how they're supposed be... to get paid for it. And yeah. like, so it's... what are all these, uh, like, I, I think just to let our audience know, what are all these, um, I guess, business side things like, like tracking your metadata, like, you know, creating, creating your own merchandise, uh, how to promote yourself properly and then doing things like, how the hell do you do your own taxes as a professional musician? Like, right, that's, that you that's a big thing you too. You wish you would have known. There's I guess. a lot of steps that I mean. There's a lot of steps that you have to take before it's to the government. You're not just a hobby anymore. Yep. Because I mean, your your income on this arts thing is is going to be pretty meager at first, unless you know exactly how to do it. I mean, I I wish I could go back and tell myself uh, how to advance yourself really quickly, but. To be honest, it's the road to get there. It's the journey. I mean, the the learning process is the journey. And maybe I wasn't supposed to be promoting myself that well back then. Maybe that my my music didn't deserve to be promoted. You know, maybe I need to learn a little bit. And uh, I, I, the business part of it, yeah. Um, this whole metadata aspect. There's gonna be. I guarantee they're gonna. There's gonna make software. They're they're gonna be have software that helps you kind of condense all that and now de- learn how to deal with it and everything for very user friendly stuff. It has to come out in this aspect first. People have to deal with it and, and freak out a little bit, and then they're like, "Wait, no, we're gonna develop an app for that for you figuring out all that med- metadata stuff, and then you know they're they're gonna solve it." But uh, I mean, to stuff that I wish I knew. It, it's hard to discuss that in an in an artistic fashion because. You're learning your entire life, and I was creating and I was uh, performing the way that I wanted to back then, and um, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't really change it. It was the process. I wish I'd gotten there quicker. Um, if I had some of those music classes back then, uh, the knowledge that I would have received at that time uh, would be outdated anyway by now. <laughs> what was some of the more, I guess, maybe the more business-related stuff that you wish you would have known or somebody maybe like, oh, I wish somebody would tell me some of these more business-related uh, things. It was really Like the more, business around the artistry, maybe not so much the artistry. It was really more the way that I handled myself as a musician. I really wish people would have told me how to be more outwardly professional thinking okay. um, because uh, it was, I was really much of the mindset Funny enough, that's the name of the touring band that I was in, first of all, when I came out of college, the Mindset. Um, but don't look it up. It doesn't exist anymore, guys. Don't look that name up. Uh, <clears throat> unless there's an Excite page out there that has it on there. My, MySpace or something. Anyway. Um, Shout-outs to MySpace. Yeah, shout-out to, shout to Tom, man. It's been a while. He's, yeah, yeah. Um, Tom's a very lonely guy. He's my now. only friend left on MySpace, I think. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, handling yourself and, and, uh, and knowing that it's not just going to be gig after gig. You you get that feeling after you play. We got we had this feeling a lot. This is my old band a long time ago. We'd play to the other bands in the room, and I'm sure any other musician that's listening right now knows that feeling. You've played to the other bands who are waiting to play, or have played, and their girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever. And uh, I think it's a line from the movie Airheads, actually. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> we have to, have to splice that in you editing. Leave, <laughs> you leave, and you're just like, what good did that do us as a band? But sometimes you're still on the high, like, yeah, that was an awesome show. Sweet. I can't wait to play back there. But what did you get from it? How did you further yourself as a musician from every show? That's probably what I would like to have communicated to myself. Because that's I would have been at those other bands. I'd be like, hey, what's... Uh, Believe it or not, I, I still would ask them for their email. I would, you know, like connect with them somehow on networking and everything. Um, I'm trying to think of what was available at for the time of me back then. But uh, yeah, big time was just handling myself professionally um, and making the most of every show. If that's all I'm going to do, and I wasn't ready to be like branding, marketing, and 
recording and, and, and reaching out to labels and trying to play out uh, at festivals and everything like that, trying to reach out to a larger stage. Um, if I was just going to be playing show after show, I would handle myself differently. Now more than ever, an artist has control over not just their art, but also how it's promoted, distributed, and marketed. However, learning all these things takes time and energy away from the creation of the art itself. It's crucial to be practical in recognizing your limits. Realize what you're good at and what you can take on yourself versus what you're willing to hand over to others. Tell everybody out there what Anne is, why you started it, what you like. Cause it's in its beginning stages. I actually went to one of the Anne meetups. Yeah. Uh, explain thanks what for, the, Thanks for coming, yeah, Jason. I appreciate thank it. you for inviting me. Uh, explain what explain what Anne is because it is an acronym and what what's the mission behind um, it and then what you want it to grow into. Yeah. Oh, it's well, it's a cult. We meet every Sunday. Uh, we worship <laughs> the God of the Sun. And I'm just kidding. No, no, everybody. No, it's uh, it stands for the Artist Network of New England, and. Um, so it comes from just what I've been talking about this whole podcast, really. It's I've been performing in the area, uh, the southern New England area, for 16 years. I, my first gig was in the early, early 2013. Um, and um, I don't think it's any secret, but uh, I, I feel like musicians aren't really there for each other on the business side of things is it just for musicians uh sorry no i i I say musician and i'm sorry to listeners no we're 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 talking about music but it makes sense i i this is open to every artistic form not even artist like it's open to the carpenters who create sets for theater productions or maybe you haven't even had any experience with creating a set for a theater production you want to you want to reach out to people you have a great resource for doing that you have uh, my uh, my brother-in-law is on there he is a coppersmith uh, he knows gold leafing so he's a crafter he's like a physical crafter and he makes beautiful stuff and if there's any artist anybody who works with the artistic community who needs somebody who does that I want Anne to be a resource for that so I approach it from a musician's point of view but it is for everybody because i might want to have a show where i have art there and i'm not going to know how to have uh, to host a gallery or anything but i want to involve all the artistic aspects that that providence and the surrounding metropolitan areas and all of new england have to offer and i'll get into about like why it's an extensive new england aspect but um i started it because People are musicians, artists, everybody, they're kind of looking out for themselves and they don't have anybody to bounce business ideas off of and check each other, like, check, like, um, like, is this, is this place kind of good to bring your art or to perform or to do, um, to have those discussions amongst the people who are, who are creating the art. Do you think that's more of a Rhode Island and Providence thing or just in, in general? Well, uh, okay, so you, you just want to have a whole other conversation, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm uh, curious. I mean, Providence has always been known as the black hole of, of the artistic community. And I don't. I hope I'm not shocking anybody out there right now because that's been something. No, we're not looking at each other like, yeah, yeah, we're not surprised. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, to Please you fun. look at it. There's no. There's no. I mean, there's very few touring artists coming through here, and there are a lot of people who are out there trying to change that. Level Exchange is one of them. Level Exchange has been a great. If you guys don't know who they are, Level Exchange, look them up. They're out of Pawtucket. They operate out of the uh, the Guild Building. 
Um, and uh, well, I hope I didn't give away their address. Hopefully they don't want the, – no, they're a live venue. They don't care. Uh, they want people to go there. Uh, but Lindsay Lerner over there at the Level Exchange, uh, she's doing an amazing thing. She's got a great outlook on what she wants to create for the artistic scene of, of Providence. And she's looking to reverse that. She's someone that's been around – uh, uh, been around the scene, the music scene. She's uh, done uh, the Vans Warp Tour, I believe it was, and she's been uh, uh, tour managing for a long time as well. So you've got people around here who are looking to change that and are actively doing it and have their heart in such a great place. But really, um, you find it in people who only support the music that they perform or want to be, you know, aligned with, or people who are feeding off of people who are more successful. You know, um, I'm sure that it's in the minority of what we're talking here, but it does exist. And um, I, I've only felt this in Providence because I've, I've I've lived here, and I grew up in a as a musician looking to get here, as well as it being a stepping stone to other cities like Boston and New York. But I'm also realizing that Boston is really in the same boat as well. Um, on a larger uh, landscape, you look at any large touring band right now, or group, or vocalist, or anything. Their shows stop at Philadelphia, maybe New York City, a couple in New York City, you know, one night in New York City, like heaven forfend that they skip New York City, but that's as far north as they go. And they might go to Montreal, Quebec, but nothing in New England. So what Anne is, is trying to give more of a networking aspect to the artists who are out there. We need friends. We need people like who are going to support each other in becoming an artistic entrepreneur. It's not an easy thing for people to do. Uh, it's not easy for people to think, to think that they can do. You know, um, I'm here to, to offer any knowledge that I have of me becoming um, a successful full-time musician and however that can translate to you and whatever you do as an art. Um, my knowledge is your knowledge. Like... Um, we are going to be uh, the one uh, negative aspect of it is that people will come into the group, and we've got something like 120 members right now, or something like that, and uh, and they think they're just going to get solutions. They're like, "Oh, give me like who has the hookups to this club?" I'm not. That's not what we're here for. Like, if you have if you have a performing group that has performed a lot, and I was like, "Yeah, you should definitely check like contact this person here. You'd be great here." That might come up. But I'm not just here to throw out a list of contacts, you know. Um, we're here to sit everybody down at a meeting, meeting for meeting, you know, talk about different topics of like what's affecting people in the artistic community, and um, you know what what do they need? What do they need to know? How can we help? How can this huge community of people help to nurture these people and get them into a place where they feel like they can do this? They don't feel like they have to give up on these dreams, and um, it's got a New England name to it because I want it to be across all of New England. I've set that scope now um, because I want someone up in Burlington, Vermont, having their own and meetings that I'm not at. Even though I created the thing, I want somebody to, hey, listen, there's a whole bunch of people from Vermont here. Let's get together and keep these, um, keep these mantras true and talk about these messages and just talk for a little bit about being a full-time musician and how that's affecting everybody. And the meetings are pretty laid back, too, because the one I went to, it was, um, for anybody listening that's interested, they're not, like, these super formal things. No. Where it's, like, name tags, like, hi, my name is dot, dot, dot. Right. But 
I thought it was interesting, too, because even little tidbits of information that somebody may have, it may affect somebody else so positively, and you don't, and because it's normal to you, but it's not normal to somebody else. Good example was, what was it, the the Google Domains thing that I mentioned at the meeting, and you were, um, yeah. you stated, like, you need to tell everybody that on the Facebook group now, because not everybody realized that, like, you know, domain names and getting your own .com name, like, oh, how do I go about that? I'm like, it'll cost you 12 bucks a year. And they're like, really? And I was like, yeah, yeah. just go to the site. And like, people don't realize. That probably like, helped a lot of people out well, who are also like, trying to get their .com the name. Steps, you know? Like, everybody knows that they need to do a website. But they don't know the steps of getting a website. Like, oh, I'm just going to hire someone to do the website. That's super expensive. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't hire somebody. You know, you, you want to have a professional website, hire someone professional to do it. But maybe right now your budget's not there. You need to do it yourself. Like, get yourself started. And you just need to splash page and that's it. Just to yeah. have, like, have the dot com. You need you to know need the steps. Everything. And, and Jason, you're someone who knows the steps. And that's why it's good to have you there for musicians who are concentrating on making the material and performing it. And step by step, they become that person who needs to be in today's performance world. Someone who's like knows a little bit of everything. And that's what Anne's for. And I felt a lack of that. And maybe it existed, maybe this exists in other forms, in other places, and I just don't know. And I'd love to meet these people who are part of other groups or whatever, and we can uh, boost each other. Like, those groups exist in their own entity, and Anne will promote their group, and vice versa, or whatever. How, uh, you know, however many people can talk professionally about being a prof- uh, full-time entrepreneur. Um, let's get that conversation started. Let's talk about what needs to happen to keep people doing what they love. And it's very easy to do uh, what you love to do full-time. Um, one quote that uh, will always uh, remain for the rest of my life, because I was working full-time retail managing, 40-plus um, hours a week. Um, sometimes in my more involved jobs, I was there close to 60 hours. And um, Was it Gap? Uh, uh, well, do I was going to try and throw a Kanye, Kanye West reference in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that might have been one of the companies that I worked for during this period. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, you take this is this is what someone said to me um, was that you take the time that you're putting in those forty hours a week, and you think about not doing this job which you hate, which you are showing up half showing up for. Take those 40 hours and spend 40 hours of your week finding, for me it was gigs, promoting yourself, branding yourself, taking photos and and, and doing that, finding ways, researching it, actually eight hours a day doing it and find how successful you can be doing that. Find how much income you get from it um, just from doing that. Just a few weeks of doing that, 40 hours a week, dedicating to your love of art, and it's going to take off in ways that you never thought possible. And Anne's here to help you do that. And I discovered this like two years ago, and it helped me become a full-time entrepreneur. And that's, uh, that's I'm not keeping these secrets to myself. I want everybody to know it because this area has got so much, so much art. And so many great things happening that they could that they, that's this is what I feel this is what they need and and, and we I just want to keep that conversation going. I think this is that was the 
probably the best ending we could have uh, for this <laughs> podcast because I might have saved it. Very, I yeah, saved very, it very, uh, very similar and, mission to what we're doing with this. It with the quote and everything. Yeah, right. You got the quote, all that. You can quote me. Yeah. Um, so with that, I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Uh, any, we always try to on the on the show give you know the last couple minutes to whatever you want to promote. So is there uh, anything you want to promote? Whether it's a band, album, multiple albums, multiple bands, and sure. uh, the the floor is yours. Go for it. Oh, thanks. Well, <laughs> if, they, if they've been listening this whole time, if I haven't driven you guys away yet, uh, you can always find me on any social media right now. Um, that you might be listening. if this is the future I don't know what the future social media is but I'm sure I'll be on there and it'll be some version of Dave Alves music that's what I use for everything uh, it's D-A-V-E Dave I'm not no crazy creative spelling um, Alves A-L-V-E-S for those who aren't familiar with the Portuguese last name and just music so uh, you can find me Dave Alves music uh, on Instagram it's at Dave Alves music Twitter it's at Dave Alves music Facebook, you can find my page, Dave Alves Music. And you have the website too, right? Got the website, DaveAlvesMusic.com. I'm on uh, uh, YouTube. I'm trying to use YouTube more, trying to put up more videos of me performing live. Um, come out, see a show, say hi. I'm a very, very friendly guy. You know, I try to be, unless I'm angry that day, or you can tell me a corny joke and I'll, and I'll laugh. Um, please follow my band that uh, of all my original music. That's uh, Crooks and Scourge, C R O O K S. And A N D and Scourge S C O U R G E. It doesn't. Everybody says Crooks and Scrooge. It's not Crooks and Scrooge. It's Crooks and Scourge. Although Crooks and Scrooge is a great name, it's Crooks and Scourge. I won't go into the meaning of it. We can talk later. And you can find us at Crooks and Scrooge. Crooks and Scourge. I almost said Scrooge. Yeah. Um, uh, Crooks <laughs> and Scourge. Yeah, I almost did it myself. I see why everybody does it now um, on all those same social medias. Um, please um, follow my journey of making my own album. I'm sure it's not going to be out for another year, probably, because there's a lot to it. Um, so I'd love to have you guys along for the ride. Um, and you'll follow the process on my Dave Alves music accounts. Um, you can find Railroad Park, um, the recording studio that I'm uh, recording at, uh, Railroad Park Recording Company. I believe it's at Railroad Park Recording Company. So uh, sorry, Kyle, if I, if I said that wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, give them a follow. If you guys think that you'd like to try out some recording, please look them up. Um, and oh, find Anne. The it's a Facebook page now, or a Facebook group. Sorry, um, but who knows what the future holds for us? So if you still use Facebook, please find us. Uh, it's Facebook.com/slash. Do you know Anne? And that's how you can find us. For do you know A N N E? D O Y O U A N N E. Gotcha. And that's how you can find us. So you can just look up the Artist Network of New England. In, on Facebook and I'd love to send me a message I'd love to talk um, love talking music business we'll get coffee I love decaf coffee sorry people who who hate decaf but decaf yeah I'm a decaf guy totally no, place sorry, for that never in the trash <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah I'd love to have conversations on this so anytime awesome well I think that wraps it up yeah. for the show. Yes, Dave, we. thank you uh, again thank you for, for doing this, uh, for coming on and um, shedding some insight into the the whole idea of the, the artist entrepreneur lifestyle and what really goes into that. I think yeah. there's uh, definitely a lot of gems of information that I, we for hope sure, our yeah. listeners will get. There's a lot and, more to talk about on the marketing branding yeah. that we didn't get into, which if you come to an AND meeting, we'll talk about there, it. There you go. <laughs> well, there there you go. for the AND meeting. There now, you have, now you have a reason feel, to go to I AND. feel like a lot of our future guests would get, out of, get a lot out of coming to these awesome. meetings as well and yeah it's tell just, them to come through we'll yeah, have one in providence sure. very soon because it definitely doesn't have like a networking event type of vibe i think it's just starting a conversation and just 
a conversation that with creatives you know about the current landscape because it's constantly changing you know yeah and it'll, constant totally. questions and concerns and it's a great community and yeah totally thank you for listening to this episode of the creative capital show and if you like the show help it grow or even if you don't like it help it grow seriously we're not picking <laughs> you can find out more about the creative capital show at our website creativecapitalshow.com and you can subscribe to the show via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever else you happen to listen to podcasts. We happen to use Anchor FM, but that's just our preference. And be sure to find us on YouTube, Instagram, Gmail, etc. at Creative Capital Show. And again, thanks for listening. This is the part of the podcast where it's like a hidden track. Or if you're into every cliched superhero movie out right now, that post credit scene. Yeah, I'm not sure how you like your Easter eggs, but over here we, we cook them sunny side up. So, tell them what's up. Okay. Uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, we got a special treat for everybody that's still listening. Um, we want to kind of do some Easter eggs for all the episodes. So for this one, we have a track off uh, Dave's album, um, and the track's called Tree of Life. It's actually inspired by his grandfather. So this is Dave Alves with Tree of Life. Enjoy. yourself up, don't make a noise, so I'm watching and waiting, let's head out on foot, we know these roads well, we've lived here for years, but today is still different, ask why is it different? He said, grandson, don't you see? Our life is like this tree. We grow and learn and dream to make different things possible.
see How is it you and me Could change anything By just living and learning Not moving We continue along To shadows in the fall We bring in one small Come to an opening In this crossing Filled with flowers everywhere I said see It's all the same There's no other choice To be anything else But a seed in this crossing Not moving he said, son, the seed is free With the wind it flies to me And I will plant it here For a life of beauty Seeds will fall to me this life worth living Seeds will fall to make this life worth living Seeds will fall to make this life worth living We come to a house, this familiar house With the sun on the porch and a woman is waiting She says, good morning my son He says, mother, please help me The boy won't believe in the flowers or the trees There must be something better Let's try it together she, she says, my child, what do you seek? More strength from being weak Life is always found when another one's lost Love is all that we can give or ever Love is all that we can give or ever Love is all that we can give forever